This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Terrence, what do you got, man? If it's not my computer, it's Terrence's. <laughs> All right. Uh, Terrence, do you want to try and hop out back in, or should we just kill us and try it one more time? Can you hear me? Oh, I can now. Yeah, um, I was on mute. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's that's the cold opening of the show right there. Yeah. That's, because I was talking to you for a minute there, and I was on mute. So okay, <laughs> both on mute. <laughs> See, because on this you can mute on the screen or on my headset. I always I do it little... on the screen. I never mess with the headset. Yeah, I, I, that... I, I I hit it on accident. I put my knee on it, and it went on. And I thought oh. it was. I think I hit mute and volume, and I. Put, so anyway, you want me to start over on the cover? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So what I was saying with the cover while I was muted there was... You don't like the Drake. I hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good. Do you like the Drake? I love the Drake. This is Cam Bowen, voice of Tim Drake on Young Justice, and you're listening to Everyone Loves the Drake. Hi, this is James Tynan IV, and I love the Drake. This is George Perez at Cincinnati Comic Expo, and everybody likes the Drake, especially the cakes. Hi, this is Mark Wolfman, and everyone loves the Drake. Hi, this is Marcus Toe, artist for Red Robin. You've been listening to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake podcast. Good for them. Love the Drake. Got to love the Drake. I'm impressed. What can I say? I'm irresistible. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake comic podcast. A chronological look at the character starting in 1989, and currently for us, it is 1996. I'm your host, Rob Myers. Welcome to episode 134. This show is brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for everything Batman and Robin. We're also part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network. Speaking of podcast networks, here's another great one at BatmanPodcastNetwork.com. You can find us there as well. So between the two universes, Batman Universe and Batman Podcast Network, you can find us. Speaking of find us, you can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Everyone Loves a Drake. We are primarily on Twitter at ELTD Podcast. You can head over to Instagram and check us out there. And our good buddy Terrence is helming the YouTube channel and just 
search Robin Everyone Loves a Drake and you can find us there as well. And if you listen on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, leave a review of the show and we will and we will read that as well. Like I said, I'm one of your hosts, Rob, and with me tonight I have both Terrence and Ryan here. Let's start with Terrence. Terrence, how are you doing tonight? It's been so long I can't get my tongue to work properly tonight. How are you doing? I know. I'm wondering how many times will you re-record the, the intro? <laughs> yes, this, the whole our, intro is just going to be done. <laughs> our intro will not be a one of one, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. No, it'll be a one of 425, and Rob is deleting all his curse words. <laughs> uh, Ryan, how are you doing tonight? I've got like a little cold, but that's not going to stop me from trying to record uh, with the Drake and uh, eating some pork rinds, So some See, vegan pork rinds. Uh, you powered through your mishap. I had uh, a <laughs> storm, electrical. Then I, my niece was like, hey, I'm going off to college. Let's have a bonfire. So we're out at the bonfire. All of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my nasal sinuses were all closed, and I'm sneezing and crying like a crazy person. My wife's like, what the hell happened to you? I'm like, I don't know. Can we go home? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, before we start talking about everything tim drake a little quickly wanted to hear like what your guys' summer have been since we've been kind of mia for a little bit have you guys done any comic book shopping or have you guys been just doing family stuff uh, terrence what have you been doing sir i actually went to a free comic book day last weekend and that was kind of fun i, I made a little youtube video for it as well did either of you guys make it to free comic book day no no not i me. completely uh, forgot it was free comic book day it's usually in May, but right? Yeah. But like, uh, maybe yeah. Later. I was cutting the grass, and I came in, and I was looking at Twitter, and <laughs> help me out with the name, the guy you do the KISS podcast with? Uh, the, the Caruso's, probably Nico, uh, I Nico think or it, Nick. I think, it, who's the dad? I, they're two, their names Nick. are too similar. Yeah, Daddy, Nick. Daddy Bats. I, Daddy yeah. Bats. <laughs> I, I think it, I looked on, he came up on Twitter with some free comic book. I'm like, oh, snap, today's the day. So I, <laughs> I, I, I rushed over there. Yeah, it was kind of fun. It had like a preview for Fear State, so uh, we'll see how that goes. But it's actually, I think James Tinian's like, here's this big event, but I'm thing. leaving. Yeah, and I'm leaving. <laughs> see you, suckers. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Ryan? What's your summer been like? Just kind of been working a lot, actually. Um, if, uh, well, yeah, I guess by the time this show comes out. When's the show come out, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> if everything goes according to plan, it should be released Wednesday, August 25th. No, 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 no. Wednesday, August 25th. How early? Uh, probably like... What did you say? I don't know what the hell I said. And there's nothing I can do. It's a machine. The little light is blinking right now. Come and listen to the idiot. Hey, everybody. The idiot's on. 9 a.m. Was that wrong? <laughs> Should I not have done that? I tell you, I gotta plead ignorance on this thing because if anyone had said anything to me at all when I first started here that that sort of thing was frowned upon... <laughs> You know, because I've worked in a lot of offices, and <laughs> I tell you, people do that all the time. <laughs> okay, so somebody's listening to this. The second it comes out, you should watch the opening night live for Gamescom. I'll just say that. Uh, so do that. And so, yeah, I've been really busy at work, and uh, some cool stuff's on the way. And, yeah, I've just been doing some family stuff. Uh, hanging out with the kid, we've been we've been uh, having a good time, just kind of getting Batman toys and playing with Batman Legos, and that's awesome. Watching binge watching Teen Titans Go, like we've we've watched the entire series like one and a half times at this point, and <laughs> and I ha I'm just really loving how 
uh, Warner Brothers is like injecting Teen Titans into whatever they can. Like the new Space Jam movie came out, but they also did Teen Titans Go watch Space Jam. <laughs> so I saw that. <laughs> so I did. So it's such a cool parent thing at this point to have a four year old and be able to be like, okay. Okay, kid, we're going to watch... You love Teen Titans already, Teen Titans Go, so we're going to watch Space Jam, the original, and now we're going to watch Teen Titans Go, watch Space Jam, and now we're going to watch <laughs> the new Space Jam. Like, it's really cool. Like, it'll be interesting to, to get her perspective, you know, 10, 15 years from now, be like, okay, tell me all your nostalgia, what was cool, and see if it, any of the, these things match up for her, you know? Our summer's just been doing little day trips here and there while... You know, my wife's been, you know, we've all been working through through everything, so we get a chance to get away. But our big thing, which ties in to our other show, speaking of when this episode comes out, we will actually be at a KISS concert on Wednesday the 25th. So that'll be the first real big event that we've been to post-COVID. So crossing fingers, everything goes according to plan. We'll see that show. And then a week later, I will see KISS again <laughs> which those tickets were from my mother from christmas of 2019 so yeah we've got and then our tail end of the year we're gonna hopefully if everything still is okay we'll probably see like four or five different concerts so it's gonna be very musical for uh, the wife and i in the latter part of the year so yeah we'll, the, we'll see how far we get <laughs> my my favorite band is the is the killers and um oh nice and, and uh they're they just came out with a new album like last week and they're they just scheduled a new concert for the raleigh area like at the end of september Nice. Finger, fingers crossed, you know, right things, world things that are still happening. If that happens, that'll be the first time I've. Well, no, I've seen. I, I saw their first concert in the state. Okay. And this will be maybe the second or third time they've been in the state. So that'll be cool if that happens. Yeah, where are they playing in Raleigh? And the Red Red Hat. Oh, okay. Oh, that's a cool place. That's that's a cool theater. Rob Kiss is playing Raleigh on August twenty eighth. Which is my mm. wedding anniversary, so nice. I will not be going to see them. <laughs> my, my, my that wife, sounds like the perfect. I yeah, mean, yeah. Dude, my wife's not a to fan. A kiss song and, at your wedding? Oh. Yeah, <laughs> she doesn't want Gene Simmons spitting blood all over her for our. Oh, how but, romantic! It's red. <laughs> yeah, and our our wedding anniversary last year was our tenth anniversary, which should have been you know a big celebration. But with COVID oh, yeah. and the lockdown, we couldn't uh, really do anything. So we gotta, you know, kind of make up for it for the eleventh. So, yeah, no, nice. no, no, Kiss concert. Although the tickets are outrageously expensive. Yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah, ticket to eleven. Oh yeah, eleventh Spi- Spinal Tap is another <laughs> band. I, they came around when I was in high school, and they actually played my area oh my on my on my high, the day of my high school graduation. And I was going to skip Should've my graduation it. to go see it, it, but I couldn't find. I, it. I couldn't get any other person to go with me. They're all like, "Dude, my grandma's oh, coming in." My, that'd I can't, have been great. I can't miss. And uh, so I, I, yeah. So there's another concert I missed. Yeah. So for the musical portion of this podcast, <laughs> yeah. I graduated high school in '93, so my junior year in '92, that was the big, huge Guns N' Roses Metallica tour that was going on. So our graduation fell, or not our, but uh, the graduation that year fell on the Toledo show for Guns N' Roses and Metallica, and uh, like four seniors skipped the graduation to go to the Guns N' Roses oh, yeah. <laughs> Metallica show. So that, and two of them were like side by side, read their name and. 
they're like after a while people would yell from the crowd guns and roses it was really yeah, kind of funny people that's like, amazing why, why would you skip your graduation and people beside us were like dude it's guns and roses and metallica why why wouldn't why you? wouldn't you yeah yeah but more on that if you want to hear some more music i'll plug uh, right between the eyes podcast where we'll geek out with the caruso boys but more more on that later this is the drake podcast so sorry we've been gone for a little bit of the summer but hey once the world got opened back up, we've all been doing uh, just some fun things that we've been wanting to do, but we're getting back on course. We have finally, finally got through Contagion and Legacy, and I feel like 500 other crossovers on the show. Like, we have read. Our fake pandemic's over before the real one is. <laughs> I know, I know. I thought that would not be the case, to be I, honest. I did, but. too. I thought as long as it was taking us to go through it, just with the amount of books that we were reading, I thought, man, we're going to be two years past the pandemic before we get out of this and we've like you said finished a fake pandemic and we're still kind of in the throes of a <laughs> another one so i've got some uh, tweets here from last week as the time that we're recording this when we were originally supposed to record because of knucklehead here having some issues so i'd put out that we're covering today robin 34 and detective comics 704 and this is part of the one of one. So this was DC's way of saying, okay, we've tied you guys in for the last three or four years of reading Nightwing and Catwoman and Robin and Detective and Shadow of the Bat and all those books. So DC decided to go, all right, we'll give you a break. If you only want to read the Robin book, that's the only book you have to buy. You don't have to buy a Detective. But, of course, a lot of us were still doing that anyway. So I put up a tweet and uh, Andrew Schweitzer had said one and done stores were such a lost art these days or, or such a lost art these days. And I think that's kind of true. I feel like everything that comes out is just a setup for the next story. Mm-hmm. So, even if it is, even if it is like a standalone issue, it's still leading up to the next. Yeah. Day. yeah. And I, I always miss the days, even when like leading up to nightfall, you could still kind of read some of those books mm-hmm. as its own thing. And there's a small little, plot thread that you kind of get rewarded when the big event started you're like oh so this character we reintroduced you know two and a half years ago is finally coming into play so jay yaws another uh a friend and podcasting partner from uh, some of us here says without a doubt made the robin title so appealing to me when i was first starting to read comics and then andrew replied back said that exactly those were instrumental in getting new readers heck even the two-part stories aren't bad that's what brought me into comics in 2007 when i moved into a new town and found a new comic shop and was surprised to see robin was still in action he t- puts a picture up of robin uh, this is a great cover by patrick gleason if you haven't checked it out robin oh, uh, 154 mm-hmm. and 155 where you don't see this an awful lot you get one cover and then you get the aftermath of what happens in the next where he's mm-hmm. taken off his disguise as Robin and then has just beat everybody and saved all the kids. Where yeah. just reading the looking at the two covers, you kinda get the idea of maybe what the story is gonna entail. So I, I miss things like that. Yeah, that's that's right in the era when I was um reviewing the, the book for Batman on film, right in that Gleason era when he was doing the covers. Yeah. yeah that's a really fond it. I'm really fond of that era because they did... It feels like they were doing a riff off of what Dixon had set up anyway, right? Like with yeah. the single one or two issue arcs, but they're all part of a larger story, larger universe continuity. It was a really good time. Yeah, just a great way of being able to bring in characters and have little 
vignettes or show pieces, like you said, and part of something else. And, you know, Jay Yaws said, you know, those excellent choices there for Pat Gleason covers. And we got a like from Patrick Gleason, which I thought was kind of cool. Good friend of the show, pop culture affidavit, Tom Panneris himself says, I remember enjoying those issues, that whole one and done period. You know, I'd replied back to him and said, you know, picking up single books was a great joy back then. Endlessly, you know, rather than to be endlessly connected, which I do miss that, you know, looking at things like, three jokers that was you know three issues and even the white knight being seven or eight issues in their own series you know you don't get a lot of those just single issues the only thing you're getting it is in like a almost an anthology book that you know dc might be putting out but even those are all still kind of connected so i i miss Mm -hmm. those days just going into the grocery store and picking up a book off the spinner rack and if you didn't make it back to the the shop and you know two or three months you weren't completely lost because you got to have a single issue so any just you know quick thoughts on the one and done before we get in yeah so i'll be the old crumgeon old man here i hated the ones of ones um, when i was a uh, uh, reading these books back in what year did this come out 96 i think the reason why was i loved the crossovers i loved the nightfall i loved the contagion i loved all that yep. stuff and the only outlet i really had to what other people thought of the books was the letter columns so I would read all these people like bad mouthing, like, why do I have to buy all these books? And why do I have to this and that? And I was like, oh, come on, man. These, these, these are what you'll remember. These are the classic. These are the things I loved. So the, the one-on-one, I felt I felt it was kind of like a mm-hmm. dumbing down, like, oh, you know, we can't, can't read the whole, you know, Contagion series. So just read one book, you know. Now that I'm kind of older, I kind of going back i kind of like oh yeah look this book i can just read this one book tonight for the podcast or these two books and it's all self-contained i'm kind of a hypocrite now because i went to a comic book store over by my daughter's college and i made a little youtube video of it it is it is an interesting comic book place it looks like um maybe like a comic book store like after the apocalypse happens <laughs> like it, it's really run down but what did i buy there well i bought robin 45 and robin 46 and why did I buy them? Because they both said one of one on them. And I was like, oh, look, there's some one of ones. So, you know, I, I've come to kind of like them a little bit more now. But I remember at the time really disliking them. Yep. Yeah, they're cool. You have anything for that, Ryan? Yeah, I've always – It's. I think somebody asked a question related to this on one of our recent Q&A episodes of the Batman Book Club that I was on, that, that podcast. Mm. Uh, and somebody was saying, well, do you do you prefer bigger arcs or single one-and-done issues? And what's interesting is when when I start to think about that, you're like, my gut reaction is like, yeah, I like the one-and-done issues because you just read it and, like, it's a complete thought, it's a complete story, and you can and it, you can read it more. But then when you think, like, okay, fine, well, name five of your favorite <laughs> one-and-done stories, and then you're like, uh... Nightfall? No, that's well, not it. Legacy? Right. No, that's not no. it either. Uh, yeah. Year one? No, that's not it either. You know, so there is definitely something to be said about the bigger stories because that's usually where the bigger, um, you know, shifts in continuity or status quo happens. That's where bigger, more major things like hush. You know, like they're all bigger, longer. You know, uh, story arcs. Yeah. But 
But then again, the individual issues I feel are more conducive to like different eras and creative teams. That's what I think of in terms of like random single issues. It's more like creative teams. Like, yeah. like you've got your Dixon and Graham Nolan, Robin. You've got your Grant, Alan Grant, Norm Brayfogel stuff, and you've got the Doug uh, Munch and um, Kelly Jones Batman run. You think of runs or Paul yeah. Dini's Detective run, yeah. which which is a big, nice collection of good one and done stories that again have like continuity between them so they both have their their pros and cons but in terms of this era of robin i think if you i think most of the books in this era like the the, in the letter columns uh, before these books started i think denny o'neill did say something along the lines of like yeah we're introducing these books and putting the logos on the books to say like this is one of one or you know, one of two, two of twos, because we've had a whole lot of crossovers and we want to get get back to basics or whatever. So this was a kind of a cool initiative that they had on their part, I think, at the time, especially now going back. Because now you can go back to this era and look at all the books across the line and kind of, without too much investment, get a, get a feel for um, what the characters are kind of like at the time and still be able to read these one-and-done kind of books. And both books... Especially that's the the detective one we'll get to feel more like oh this could have been like a Batman the animated series, series episode or something like that yeah. so mm-hmm. we we can get more into that though as we get into the book all right before we get into our first book we're gonna take a quick little break and when we come back we're gonna hit the done in ones or the one in dens depending on which way you say it but in this case we're doing two and done or two and one and done we'll be right back don't go anywhere. On your mark, get set, go for the Fire & Water Network Superman Virtual Run. Coming this October, join comic book fans and fellow Fire & Water Network listeners in a 5K run. Obviously, we can't all run together in the same place, but you can do this anywhere you want. You can run or even walk around your hometown, around the block, nature trails, or even a treadmill. You can make this race your own. We're doing this in conjunction with the official DC Comics Superman Virtual Run. This official virtual run comes with some cool Superman swag and is helping raise money for charity. For our Fire and Water Network run, we're recommending running a 5K. However, anyone can participate by running or even just walking as little as one mile, or you can do 5K or 10K. Your choice. For those participating, just pick any date in October to run. Many of us are targeting the week of October 18th through 24th, but any October date works. For more information and to register for the Fire and Water Network run, visit our Sign Up Genius page at fireandwaterpodcast.com slash run2021. That's R-U-N-2021. Once you're on the Sign Up Genius page, you'll need the access code to enter. The access code is simply the word JOY, all lowercase J-O-Y. Now, there's no cost to join this Fire & Water Network run. However, we strongly encourage you to also register for the official DC Comics Superman Virtual Run on their website. It's a fun program that comes with great Superman run perks. Their fee is $40 per individual, but remember, they are helping raise money for charity. So join us for this fun, healthy, and super heroic event in October. Remember, to participate, you can do as little as walking just one mile. For more details and to sign up, visit fireandwaterpodcast.com slash run2021 and use the access code JOY. On your mark, get set, go!
All right, before we hear the synopsis for Robin 34, let's go to Mike'sAmazingWorld.com to learn all about the information of this comic. The cover date is October 1996, with an on-sale date of August 28, 1996, and the cover price is $1.95. And the editor is the great Dennis J. O'Neill. This was polybagged with Over the Edge magazine. Magazine. The writer is Chuck Dixon. The penciler is Jennifer Graves, which is new for us for this podcast. And the inker is John Dell III. The cover credits go to Mike Rowingo and the inker being Terry Austin. Take it away, Terrence. Robin 34, Situations and Comedies. Tim, Ari, Ives, and Kali attend a Shakespeare play entitled Macbeth on the Beach at Gotham Park to get some extra credit for their English class. The play is completely dull, and Tim spots two young men fighting over the trees in the dark. He slips away from his friends, who are arguing about the play, and stops the fight. The aggressor draws a gun, but Tim disarms him and tells the guy to go away. Tim drops the gun into a trash can, and suddenly Helena Bertinelli appears to warn Tim about wandering too close to her students. Tim knows that the encounter could have ended up in Helena discovering Tim's secret identity. He tries to sneak back to his friends, but he catches a glimpse of a car with three men inside armed with heavy weapons and masks. Tim deduces that they are waiting for the play to finish to mug all the people. Tim starts looking for a payphone to dial 911, but he comes across with his friends who stop Tim for a little while. Tim then knows that it is already too late to call the police, so he goes to the Redbird and takes his Robin suit. Robin sees the three thugs getting out of the car and jumps on them. The thugs start shooting at him and they catch everyone's attention. Robin uses some batarangs to disarm two of them. The crowd then starts to beat the two unarmed thugs. The third thug goes to hide in a nearby mobile restroom. Robin knocks the cabin down and the thug comes out of it. He tries to escape at plain sight and Robin can't risk being seen by Helena. Bertinelli, because she might guess his secret identity, or Ariana might do the same. Luckily, Helena appears and knocks the thugs without the need to dress up as Huntress. Tim changes his clothes back and decides that it is time for him and his friends to leave. When they are leaving, Helena calls Tim and tells him that she knows who he is and that his outfit let her know all she needed. Tim thinks that she is talking about his Robin persona, but then she tells Tim that she recognizes him because of his school jacket as the boy behind the trees at the beginning of the story. Tim is relieved and Ariana is jealous and curious of how Tim knew a woman that beautiful. After tonight, Tim understands why Bruce doesn't bother with a social life. So let's just take a look at Robin 30. How about I said 31? Because the whole one thing now is probably going to drag me down here. Uh, I dig the cover for 34. It's not really, of course, you know, we say it all the time. It's not really indicative of what is going on. Although, looks like he has a last poor York. I knew him well on the bow staff, and Robin looks really menacing. Uh, crouched down here in the penciler is Mike Rowingo. And I think I've said mistakenly a couple times, oh, this is the last Mike Rowingo cover we're going to get. And I think he might actually have a couple more, but he doesn't do any interiors you know, anymore on it. I think it's a cool cover. I don't know if it's poster worthy or I'm going to slap it right on the wall or anything like that. But I think it's pretty cool. It gets the the point of maybe the, the idea or the theme once you start realizing what's happening in the issues. So anyway, I'm rambling here. Oh, guys, what do you think about the cover? Let's start with Ryan. This cover is is pretty cool. I think for me it's like the um, – it's it's the colors. It's that like purple, 
you know, curtain, and you can tell mm-hmm. it's, you know, oh, there, it's like, and it, it, that and the, what Robin has, has on the staff and the, the quote, so if you know anything about Shakespeare, you're like, well, what's, what is this issue? This is going to be kind of a different story. So, yeah, it's and it's another, one of these Robin covers that has just Robin on the cover, and mm-hmm. I think those are all, those always kind of stand out to me, and you you can't go wrong with, with the Ringo cover. No. Terrence, what do you got, man? I wonder how much Ringo knew about the issue that he was drawing the cover. And I wonder if maybe he had already had this image of Robin and maybe he was like standing on like a rooftop or something. Mm. And then they're like, oh, yeah, he's going to be at a Shakespeare play. And so then he was like, all right, we'll just put a curtain behind him and stick a little skull on the the staff or something like that. (laughs) Uh, Because, you know, like the skulls from Hamlet, but the play in the stories, Macbeth and stuff like that. Or maybe they were like, yeah, who cares? He's like, I like drawing skulls, you know, who, no one's going to care. You know, you think, you know, 30 years from now, a bunch of guys are going to be sitting around talking about this? No way, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I like the lighting of it, too, how the lights mm-hmm. are yeah. lit underneath him and the shadow is, is a really cool effect. Yeah, I think it's really cool. Well, let's, let's dig into this one. And uh, Surfer Joe is what I'm going to call this guy in the, <laughs> the beginning of it. The little notes that I'm uh, pulling here from DCFandom.com, it says the uh, uh, the play that the boys attend is referenced to, to William Shakespeare's Macbeth, and there were more references to Shakespeare plays, so they're kind of an amalgamation of, of a couple other ones that they're, that they're throwing in here. And I always like, I and mean, we say it a lot with Dixon writing it, that he's throwing you into action, and sometimes like this, in this first splash <laughs> page, it kind of leaves you going like, what? What in the world? Like, oh, this must be a central character. He's got a full-on page, and but he's in flip-flops. So, I think it's sometimes Dixon kind of messing with us, going, "All right, let's let let's see if I can take the readers on this journey and find out." Oh, they're at a they're at a play, and uh, you know, there was a, a play when I was in high school that they were calling it Hippie Stock Fest, and they were trying to be like hippies of the 60s or whatever and do and do a different take on a play and i forget what the play was trying to modernize it up and thinking that is such a dumb stupid idea and then i'm reading a comic book that's doing the very same thing and i was like huh in 1993 i guess we were just a few years off from doing something like that yeah and Uh, you know i was thinking there has to be a story behind this like chuck dixon had to have seen something like this or did it himself <laughs> in high school or college or there there's something this wasn't I don't think Chuck just woke up one night and said Macbeth and the surfers like there has to be a backstory to this yeah and you could just hear like the dude bro speak from <laughs> from this and he kind of writes it that way a couple other little times and I think it's we always talk about it being a palate cleanser issue that sometimes those are some of our favorite ones that we just come out of this crazy story like we're not even really referencing contagion or covid or the delta variant (laughs) (laughs) anymore in this it's just them at the park and it's the core list of characters with ives and ariana and ives girlfriend her name's escaping me at the moment here and them just going back and forth and tim just being really content and being at the area that he's in, it's almost would be like a pseudo central park type of thing. So what do you guys think yeah. of the, the landscape for this issue that Chuck is doing that it's in one central location, you're in a park and Tim has got to figure out how to maneuver the story through being Tim and uh, Robin, Ryan. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a, a departure from uh, your normal Batman, dark, nighttime, Gotham City kind of thing. It's like, oh, he's in school, it's in the daytime, he's got to juggle being Robin and Tim Drake and figure out a mystery. It, it's actually very reminiscent to me of... Um, Something you might see in like Batman Beyond, for example. It's almost like oh, it, yeah. it foreshadowed because like, plenty of episodes of that show are kind of like that, where he's like in school in the day and he's got to like juggle. He's, it's it's very Spider Man esque, and and Tim Drake is as well because he's like the superhero that's in high school that has these issues that he's got to also be like you know a superhero too. So and having to like get a break away from the friends and solve a little mystery. Like it's a cool change. It's definitely a cool change of pace. It gives you an opportunity to see the characters in different situations you normally don't see them in and not not only tim but you know later in the story you, you get to see huntress you know in her civilian persona which you don't see that often as well yeah and i really like well let's let's go to terrence before i before i get to ari uh what do you think of the just the the placement for this story i think ryan hit the nail on the head it feels like a tv show it feels like you know, a sitcom or just one of those shows where they don't have a huge unlimited budget. So, you know, everything is just filmed in kind of one, one spot or one angle. And, um, got, I mean, I feel like when you, when you look at a comic book and you see an artist, you just know like, Oh, that's this person's art. When you read this, you just feel like this is just so Chuck Dixon, you know, like it's just gotten mm-hmm. so and you could just I just feel like he had a really good time writing this, you know, and, and like you say, it's like a palate cleanser for us reading it. It was probably a palate cleanser for him, you know, just writing it like he didn't have to look up like the history of Calcutta to make sure that it fit in the thing. Although I think that was a Doug Munch issue, but you know what I mean? Or whatever yeah. it is, or Scotland or whatever it is. Like he could just put it in the uh, Gotham version of Central Park and just, just have some fun with it. And I also want to mention before I move on, like the take on Tim here is kind of interesting because a little later on, once Chuck Dixon's not really writing Tim and it becomes more of a Jeff Johns thing, Tim becomes like the smartest guy who ever lived, like the smartest of all Robins, mm-hmm. the smartest, of, you know, and and I was always like, wait, and he's really cocky, too, about being the smartest. And this is more the Tim Drake that I know where he's like, first starts with like, I don't want to be here. I'm bored. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, like I have to be here for homework. And it's Ari and Ives who are having the kind of quote-unquote intellectual, I mean, as intellectual for, you know, kids' conversation on the merits of this play and all that, where if this was Jeff Johns, it would have been Tim Drake, like, analyzing it in some kind of logical Vulcan, you know, super IQ way. Like, even on page three, the top panel, like, Tim's body language, he's got his hand on his thing, he's like, he's so bored, he doesn't want to be there. And so he goes kind of off looking for... Some tr- hoping, hoping that something's going on, and it's Gotham, so there's always something horrible around every corner. That's the the other thing with this is I'm like Gotham is just like the worst place. Like you can't even go <laughs> yeah. see a play in the park without like five major crimes happening. Yeah, and I like the whole stick of him being bored, even on the top of four where he's got his hand to his head and Ari and Ives are like leaning in and he's totally looking towards eyes as almost the, Oh my God, please. Like I need out of both of these situations. And he gets the whole thing of like, Oh, Hey, there's a couple people pushing over there. I'm going to go over here. This is the part of the story. I really kind of like of Tim figuring out 
how to get out, and we don't have to get him right in the Robin costume right away. And I always think it's it's really kind of cool. Like, okay, Tim is Robin, so we need him in a Gotham, you know, high school red jacket that's got the yellow trim, so you still know this is our our character. Which you know, that's really kind of on the nose, but I. I kind of like those silly things. Uh, something that I forgot, I had a note here that I wanted to mention before we started it, is Jennifer Graves is doing the art in this. And I'm not familiar with a lot of her work, and she doesn't have a whole lot of work to really uh, speak for. Uh, she was an artist that work in the comics industry. As an occasional penciler from 1996 to the early 2000s, during the time that she worked in the comic books industry, she worked mainly for DC Comics. Her first published work was Showcase 93, Issue 3. She continued to work on different titles, but she is probably known best for her work on Gotham Girls and Bad Girls. And I am not familiar with either one of those titles. I'm kind of clicking on it as I'm talking. Yeah, I'm not recognizing this at all. Gotham Girls had five issues. It was a little mini-series. came out October 2002 and ran from October 2002 to February 2003. Featured Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy, Batgirl, Catwoman. Yeah. So, yeah. I Were you aware of any of that, uh, Terrence yeah, or Ryan? Yeah, I, I knew of Gotham Girls. It was oh, kind wow. of a... It was like a Gotham City Sirens precursor, almost. It was oh, more okay. towards the, about the... It was using the animated series characters, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking at the cover right here. Yeah. Yep, you're absolutely right. So, uh, real quick, what do you think about uh, her work in this issue? And I think this is her only, uh, before I say that, I believe this is her only Tim Drake appearance. Yeah. So, unless she did something with Tim in the showcase, I don't think so. That was basically just uh, uh, a Birds of Prey issue she did. So, what do you think about her work on the Robin 34, basically? Terrence. It's adequate. If you're a fan of uh, the TV show News Radio, you get her, her adequate <laughs> quantity is, you know, but right. it's not great. It's not, it didn't blow me away. There's no real poster worthy panels, but yet there's nothing awful or terrible mm-hmm. that takes me out of the story. It's pretty consistent. And it, it's a good, you know, it's not too realistic, but it's not too cartoony either. It's, it's very much kind of in that zone of like the animated series kind of, I guess. So, but yeah, mm-hmm. it, it was, it did the job. Right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. It's, it's interesting. I think it kind of perfectly supposed plainness of the art fits the plainness of the story. If, yeah. that, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually think it's a really good compliment to it because it is, is very realistic. Like this could be shot like as a episode of a TV show or like a, like, like Riverdale. a 90s t- Riverdale <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, like like without any sort of special effects budget or something. Like nothing outlandish happens. This isn't like as bats and like crazy guys in suits and flamethrowers and explosions. Like it's right. literally like Robin stopping some dudes with guns at like a play in the park and the most outlandish thing is Robin himself. So in that regard, like I think the I think the art really I don't know. It really kind of sells that more realistic spin of grounded story, and it makes the full package kind of work. And then you add like the the Adrian Roy colors on top of it. That's like your unifying yeah. thing that across most of these '90s Batman books that just kind of like just makes it all work. Every time we mention Adrian Roy, I think she is just one of the unsung heroes in DC. When people are mentioning creators back in this day and you rightfully so you go to you know the chuck dixons and norm bray fogels but her colors just in any book that she's a part of are always stellar there's no 
part that you're ever going, man, who colored this book? Even if the art isn't overly stellar, like we always talk, like sometimes an inker can really help out a pencilist or really hurt a pencilist. I think the same thing could be said for the colorist, too, and her colors are always completely solid. Tim gets drawn into the woods and taking down this dude in the purple bandana, and uh, Dixon lets Tim not have to be the bumbling, like, oh, golly gee, how am I going to fight this guy? He's not having to worry about anybody else. He really thinks he's really kind of secluded and can really disarm uh, this guy without a whole lot of effort. He is usually around somebody that he can't, and he even makes mention here of, you know, when Helena shows up, it's kind of like, oh, whoops, I know who she is. She doesn't know who I am. But apparently in Gotham City, if you find a gun, you can just throw it in a trash can, and then the gun collection service will come and empty your trash cans. So I thought that was <laughs> kind of funny that Dick's <laughs> Probably uh, uh, pre- uh, related to the, the Batmobile parachute pickup service that you see in the 60s TV show. <laughs> right. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. But that was kind of a pleasant surprise that she's in here that I think Dixon really is kind of a fan of the Huntress and is trying to find different ways to continually bring her into Tim, make her part of Tim Drake's world more than she's part of Bruce Wayne Batman's world. So what do you guys think of the inclusion of the Huntress in this story and how do you think she is utilized in this terrence i hit on that same thing you did rob like he's just gonna put the gun in the garbage can (laughs) like how does that work (laughs) and then on um page seven is when you first see her and she's wearing a big name tag that says hello my name is miss bertinelli (laughs) and so for fans it's kind of like a cool thing where you're like oh that's that's the huntress oh yeah that's right she's a school teacher i think it's cool my one knock on the writing oh and by the way, the garbage can doesn't even have like a lid or anything. Like, no, it's no. just sitting on the. T- so it would literally just be sitting on the top of like. The, it's not the like trick. a sharps container that oh I had to give myself insulin I got to put it in this it's like proper right. in the clear that Georgia can come by and just eat. It's yeah, it's like the uh, right. garbage can that Oscar the Oscar the Grouch lives in, but without the lid and and the puppet. So my one knock is like there's this whole thing where Tim's like oh she she could know who I am find my identity like how like how would you, like even if he said like oh hey. I'm Robin. Like, she doesn't know his name or anything. Like, I mean, I guess she could, like, try to, like, investigate or go find his teacher or figure well, like, if he, he is or something. If, he, but, if he's in the area and Robin's in the area and yeah, all the... And, yeah, like, she's not that... She's it's a intuitive. bit of a stretch. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, I, Mike, I've said this before on the podcast, but my, my favorite thing with the Justice League Unlimited when Lex Luthor and, and uh, oh, I love that. Wally West <laughs> switch spots, switch places, and he, he's the Flash, and he goes to the bathroom with the mask, and he's like, I can now finally see the identity of the Flash, and he takes off the mask, and he looks in the mirror, who and he's is like, this? I have no idea who this guy is, <laughs> you know? Same thing. I mean, he could say to her, I'm Robin, and she'd be like, okay, you got a nice jacket. You go to... Gotham High with, you know, 400 other kids, you know? So I was surprised that Dixon was able to fit in a guest appearance in a one-on-one and do it pretty well. So, yeah, I did like it. And I like it that this must be because she at some point says, you know, where's your teacher or, you know, what? I I know the school you're going to. So apparently this is something that's Gotham has a lot of boroughs, evidently, and there's more than just one school out here. I thought that was a, a little different rather than going, 
oh, you know, it's not, she's They're pulling the exact same yeah, place. Yeah, same place, convenient, not pulling him to the side and goes, what would Bruce say, you know, you doing such and such. Mm-hmm. So I like that there's this anonymity built into the universe that she happens to be there just because there's this event going on. But that's also tied into her, her job, which which right. I don't think you get a ton of opportunities to see her do that in the during the day. You know, it's usually I'm a huntress at night. Like, don't you want to read about huntress at night? And just the fact that this story takes place in the day, like it makes sense to slot her in there. And maybe that's a that was a way for Chuck Dixon to kind of because that's the thing. It's like a lot of times you'll read stories like this and be like, dude, you know, use the characters like this is a, a daytime story and. Helena Bertinelli is a teacher. Why wouldn't she be in this story? But Chuck Dixon's the kind of writer where normally he'll he'll think of connections like that and throw and make the stories work in in that way. Yeah. One of my favorite characters in this isn't actually Tim. It's the way they use Ives in this. I mean, we don't get <laughs> a lot of use of the secondary characters, third and you know, et cetera, et cetera. But just his conversation back and forth with Ari is actually really kind of made the story interesting, especially on a few pages where Tim is finally dressed up as Robin to go figure out what's going on. And I think the cool thing about that is other than probably like seduction of the gun or something like that, this is one of the few books where the main hero, the superhero is not in his superhero costume for you can't even say that Robin is in the book fifty percent. I mean, Tim is so. I think that's really kind of cool that Dixon has established all these other characters. That for a couple pages, Tim isn't isn't even on the page. That you could totally rely on uh, Ives and Ari. Well, you've talked about Windows ninety five on the. Was it just the last episode? Just the last episode. <laughs> and yeah, then, and then here we get another uh, little reference to that where Ives is talking about things he doesn't want to change. You know, or things he doesn't like. It's like I don't like the new guy playing the James, playing James Bond. James I don't Bond. like the new Bible. I don't like curtains ninety five. It's <laughs> funny that's, that's like funny. <laughs> maybe they got to know like you can't say Windows ninety five. And he's like, okay, well, now we have to say curtains because they isn't that they, funny though? They curtains did just and say windows. They said windows in the last book, so I don't know if like there was a legal thing or if they just wanted to make it funny. I don't know. Yeah, and I think it's funny. Like when I read that about, I don't like the new James Bond. I'm like, I liked Pierce Brosnan. That was one of my favorite. You know. Aside from Sean Connery, he's like my second favorite James Bond. I'm like, but did people yeah. like him back then? People never like the things that change at the t- era that the they time. change in. It takes a while <laughs> for people to warm up to stuff. <laughs> Terrence, uh, what are your thoughts on Ive? I, I like it, and what I like too is that you know when Tim disappears, there's like um, Ari seems to always be like, "Hey, where were you? Where did you go? Like, what you know? Who are you? Who's that?" pretty girl you were you know that pretty teacher you were yeah. talking to you're mm-hmm. kind of planting She's always seeds. concerned about that like yeah for her to be suspicious or to be like hey man what's up and then that's just going to lead into more stuff when you know stephanie brown sort of becomes more of a love interest with him well she so, saw that she saw her at a funeral and he was like yeah. you know. <laughs> exactly um what i like if you look on page nine the last panel and this is something you didn't quite always see in comics like what the kids are wearing is so oh my god 90s yeah and my, there, is, i wanted to get into this there's yeah. some good stuff in this in i this didn't issue. quite dress quite like that because i was a little bit older at this point and i was mm-hmm. a little like fashion dull 
But um, <laughs> this looks just like how my younger brother dressed then. He would have been like senior, and, junior, senior in high school, mm-hmm. like with the and giant T-shirt, and- the giant T-shirt, the baggy pants, all the, all that. And I was watching a video of uh, the guy in Oasis with Noel Gallagher, yeah. And he says, "Is right about this time period." He's like, "Whenever I see myself in this time, it was he was talking. It was like in today's time, but he was talking about the mid '90s. He's like, whenever I see myself in the mid '90s, I always look like I'm wearing someone else's clothes. And the guy <laughs> whose clothes I'm wearing was like way taller and bigger than me because they don't yeah. really fit. And that's yeah. how all these guys look. Like the clothes are so oversized. And I remember that my brother wore these like." Like skateboarder jeans that like literally the leg you yeah. could have fit like three people in one leg of these <laughs> jeans and it's just so funny to see that here. But Tim is drawn kind of clad like Tim could have been he looks like he's stepped right out of Happy Days or like a fifties Archie's comic or something. Yeah. He's pretty classic, but you know, I That's and- funny that you say that because coming out of Archie that Ari kind of looks like uh Betty or Betty or Veronica. You Veronica just, was the uh, the, you, the brunette. brunette. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just kind of moving through the book here, we've got the sequence with Robin, which I think is uh, drawn very well. Uh, there's some fluidity. I haven't said that in a while. And the acrobatics that uh, Tim is doing to disarm the, the guys here. And I like the chase through the crowd I thought was, was done really well. And just nitpicking here on 14 when Robin throws the R shuriken to hit the bad guys. Oh, it says t- or two down. A batarang actually hits the guy in the back instead of the R, which trying to I did, pull. I just, I did, I missed that, but good catch Whoa. there. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I thought it's a transforming have... uh, Robin <laughs> ring. <laughs> While it was in midair, Superboy Prime Mid-panel. punched the walls of the, <laughs> the universe. Uh, or, and, or yep. yeah, or it's a sign that the universe is about to collapse too. Yeah, exactly. yeah, definitely. Something's going sideways. Wait, the but bat- he's got an R. He's got the he's got an R on in the hand, and then a battering on the head. On another guy, like one guy has the R at the bottom oh. of the panel. Oh, the R's in his hand. If you look, see the yeah. R's like yeah, so, yeah. That's what you say. So yeah. The question is, where did the battering come from? <laughs> I actually think. All right, this is like uber uber geeky. So on the top of page fourteen, where he's throwing the R. If you look in his, see he's his got a battering that's not colored. That's not colored. It's colored yellow, like the background. So it looks like he's holding a banana. Uh, yeah, but that really uh, should have been chunk the battering. Yeah, didn't this kind of happen in one of the like those last issues of Legacy where like Nightwing was doing stuff with, and it was hard to follow because the coloring wasn't matching. Yeah, yeah. I think it was also battering related. All right, take it. Take back everything you said about Andrea Roy earlier, Rob. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It might have been like a, it might have been yeah like weird coloring rules too like or things that don't didn't translate or didn't didn't fully you know cross over when they did the coloring or something yeah, yeah. that's that's a good catch you were telling me good catch and then to find out <laughs> no no he did have a battering the whole entire time Rob latter part of this book here I think it's really kind of comical that Robin knocks over an outhouse outhouse uh, a porta pot porta potty. With the guy in it, which is really kind of funny. You see people making the whole stinky face, which is really kind of... Because I know they did stuff like this on in the movie Jackass, if you've seen that, where they had it like, <laughs> yeah. on bungee cords and stuff. But a friend of mine, back in the 90s, went to a New York Jets football game at Giant Stadium, <laughs> while the Jets played at Giant Stadium, is the whole thing. 
and they were playing the Miami Dolphins, and there was a guy like wearing a Miami Dolphins jacket and hat, and so he was a Dolphins fan, and he went in to use the porta potty in the parking lot, and the Jets fans went over and flipped over the porta potty <laughs> oh, on oh, no. the Dolphins fan in the parking lot, and they said the guy came out and he was just covered in the stuff that's in there. <laughs> like <laughs> so that that was that was harsh. Yeah, that that'd be horrible. <laughs> I'm done. Yeah, when Robin does it to this guy here, which, you know, I mean, he is shooting at him, so, you know, but still, yeah, it, it's pretty nasty. And I like it's not that uh, Robin or the Huntress that delivers the blow that knocks out our assailant uh, shotgun toting. It's none other than Ari, which I thought was, oh no, excuse me, it is, it is Helena, the, uh, yeah, it is Helena, which was actually yeah. kind of funny. I thought it was Ari, the, uh, all you see is the yellow hand. Uh, coming mm-hmm. up there, if I would have looked down. So I thought that was kind of cool that it's uh, uh, Helena now that I'm backtracking out of, and Ari's in the last uh, couple panels of 19. Hey, can uh, I get uh, super geeky on you? Get all teachery yes. on you? So these guys are trying to rob the money from the ticket sales, but actually, back in uh, Shakespeare's time, you would um, pay, you wouldn't have tickets, you'd just pay directly, and they had a box that had like a slit in the top and mm. you when you went in you'd put your money your coins into the box and then they would take the box and lock it in an, a special office during the play so no one could steal it so that's where the term like box office comes from even today oh. when they talk about the box office so I thought Dixon might put something in there about them like stealing the box office or something like that but he, he probably had it and then just like left it out or whatever yeah. but that's where that all comes from yeah on 19 19- where Ives' girlfriend is saying, I mean, who even believes in this Batman and Robin? I know. Tabloid junk. It's still that they're not as, they're still urban legends. Yeah. Apparently, this time. And even, you know, throwing the Madonna reference in there, I thought was kind of cool to kind of just, even just in one line, Dixon is still seeding the universe of like, not everybody really is aware of was Batman it and Robin. that specific point a. Thing that got reintroduced with zero year, I think so. That they went back and made them urban Batman is urban more. Lead. Yeah, I believe that was a specific bullet point. Like they, there was like a whole zero year like fact checklist thing that DC had, where it was like showed all the continuity and all the characters and some mm-hmm. bullet points. And I'm pretty sure for Batman, it was like he doesn't know. I think the two that I remember the most was like that he does not know who killed his parents because before he knew that Joe Chill did. But I think they got rid of Joe Chill. Batman doesn't know who killed his parents. Right. And Batman is still seen as a, as a myth, like an urban legend. I think that was definitely two things that got reestablished as part of the post-Nightfall zero hour, zero year, not zero year, zero hour stuff. Yeah, I think you're yeah. 100% right on that. So the uh, end of this issue is like we had talked in the synopsis. Terrence Red is... Helena coming up to him like, ah, I thought I recognized you. And Tim has that inner monologue of, oh, crap, she recognizes me. It's more of the, hey, I recognize the jacket and, you know, your school and everything else like that. I like that it ends with Tim kind of coming to realize, so this is why Bruce really doesn't have much of a a social life. Just like this one instance of him trying to dodge his girlfriend, keep his group safe, and still having to be a crime fighter and also witnessing Helena, all in the same place. He's got a lot of different lines he's trying not to get crossed. And if we're talking about the whole one of one, when you get to the last page, 
it says watch this space where the new the new thing is going to be starting up for DC the final night checklist and it lists like 15 books <laughs> like enjoy this one of one because the, the next issue of Robin we're going into a, another <laughs> crossover so this didn't last really long uh, final thoughts or anything else that uh, we may have kind of skipped over let's start with Terrence yeah I wondered at the end if Miss Bertinelli here and I think I remember from the comics too like she taught at like a really rough school that was mm-hmm. you know really economically disadvantaged and a lot of gangs and Tim was going to like the preppy kind of suburbs you know affluent school but I wonder at the end if she kind of knew that he, it was Robin and she's messing with him a little bit because even if she knew it was Robin she's not going to out him right there in front of like everybody like that's just going to piss off Batman like he could be like well you're the huntress you know like (laughs) right so so like maybe she kind of knows that that's Robin and is sort of you know like I know who you are you're the guy from before at the tree you know so I don't think we ever got a resolution on this I don't think this um, issue was ever referenced again but you could interpret the ending I think two different ways there yeah I think you could yeah Uh, Ryan I'm just jealous of on the final pa- page that this guy's got a got an email hoodie. And when I say email, I'm not. It's not. It's e dash m a l e. And I'm just yeah. like so like. I don't know. I'm enamored with this shirt. I'm like, is that a '90s? I was trying to look it up. I was like, was this a thing in the '90s, or is just, or is that just some kind of funny like thing? Like email is kind of new in that time and. That would have been a funny shirt that somebody came up with. Like, I couldn't find... I didn't see any 90s shirt, like, retro shirt that says that, so I don't know. I was looking, too. I was really hoping when you said that I was looking, like, oh, maybe you found something. Yeah, I don't remember that either, but I do remember, like, there was a lot of novelty around this new thing, email. There was that movie with Tom Hanks, like, You've Got Mail, and um, their yeah. Mission Impossible, like, one of them, like, Tom, Tom Cruise was using email for the first time and <laughs> stuff. It was, yeah, it, there was a lot of novelty to it, so but I don't remember that at all. Well, for the lack of our memory, and it's probably not, I did find an email store online, which is e-m-a-l-e store. So maybe I'll do a little more perusing. Yeah, be careful searching up for like stuff with mail in it online. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, you might get a knock at your door in like forty-five minutes. Like, is Rob here? <laughs> oh, you know what? You know what? If you go to YouTube, there is a band called E-Mail. And they have a song called "We Are Email." Um, well, uh, there's also like a, a a men's clothing outlet that has like five thousand dollars slipper sneaker things, like sandals. And huh. I'm very confused. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's a scam. <laughs> Sounds like it. Well, it's the internet. It's probably real. So get you, get on your curtains ninety five and we'll we'll sort it out. So while you guys are digging through curtains ninety five, we're gonna take a quick little break and when we come back on the other side, we're gonna look at Detective Comics seven oh four. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Justice League International Blah Ha Ha Podcast. A new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and JM DeMatteis. We'll be going issue by issue in release order tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as Martian Manhunter, 
Batman. Doctor Fate. Black Canary. Fire. Ice. Maxwell Lord. Oberon. Captain Marvel. Rocket Red. Captain Adam. Mr. Miracle. Guy Gardner. Booster Gold. Blue Beetle. Nort. And many, many more. Justice League International. Blah ha ha podcast. Part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? And once again, we'll go to Mike'sAmazingWorld.com, and this time around for Detective Comics 704. The cover date is December 1996, with an on-sale date of October 16, 1996, and the cover price being $1.95. The editor is Scott Peterson. The writer is, of course, Chuck Dixon. The penciler is Graham Nolan. The inker is Tom Palmer. The literist is John Costanza. The colorist is Gloria Vasquez. And the cover credits go to Graham Nolan. And, of course, the inker is Kevin and Nolan. And now, Ryan, take it away for Detective Comics 704. Detective Comics 704, Rocket Scientist. The dieter Gans was an unlucky thief who spent most of his early years in Blackgate Penitentiary for little robberies that leave him no profit at all. After 10 years in Blackgate, he decides that when he goes out, he starts anew. Honest work for honest money. Unlucky as he is, two criminals approach him and lure him into a jewelry robbery. When Gans re- realizes what it was all about, it was too late and he finds himself driving the thug's car with the police chasing them. Batman knew that one of the thieves was a man named Cameron Nash and that he was also a ruthless killer. He and Robin listened to the police radio and knew where the thieves were going. They started to chase them, but the thieves escaped using a water conduit. Batman knew where that conduit will take them, and he and Robin went to the place. The thieves find themselves facing Batman at the place that Batman has told Robin. The three thieves started to run and entered an industrial laundry. There, Batman managed to capture Nash. The second thief tried to hide inside a dryer, but was caught inside it and spinning helpless. Batman tried to catch Gans, but he accidentally fell into a pile of clothes and was able to escape from Batman and Robin. When all that was over, Batman told Robin not to worry about the thug that escaped, because that kind of man always appears in another hit, and so they might catch him the next time he appears. Nevertheless, Dieter Gans decided to stick to his honest job as an electronic artifacts repairman and never again committed another crime. Detective Comics 704. Now, out of the two covers, if one of these are going to be poster-worthy, back in the day at your local Walmart, I love the crap out of this cover. Uh, <laughs> Dixon, I love the crap out of it. Uh, Dixon, Nolan, Palmer on the uh, front cover here. I think this is a great shot of Batman. I vividly remember this cover when I had bought it back in the day, and every time I think about No Man's Land, I always associate this cover as being an image of No Man's Land, I'm always going, oh, what was that issue in No Man's Land with Batman, you know, half in shadow, and you could just basically see his bodysuit, but his, yeah. you know. I love this image, and I constantly think it's part of No Man's Land. Every now and then I'll be flipping through, and I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm missing an issue from No Man's Land, and I'm always searching for this one, and it's not a No Man's Land. It's a one of one. So uh, now you know how I feel about the cover. Uh, Ryan, what do you think about it? Who did the cover? Did you? Do we have the cover credits? Yeah, the cover credits on this one go to Graham Nolan, the inker. It is by Nolan, Kevin okay. Nolan. Yeah, because I couldn't tell. It didn't look like obviously like yeah. Graham Nolan to me. But no, like it's this is definitely like an all timer type of cover for this era of Batman for sure. Like the yeah. the the rooftop, the silhouette, the the yellow oval, the belt. You know, bats the, in the background. The bat. Yeah, exactly. The bats in the background and that that logo, that specific Batman logo, 
is just that has like the the Batman Forever, Batman and Robin font. Uh, Hashtag but, yellow oval. I know. I mean, it's all it's all it's all just really good stuff, and uh, I I couldn't I couldn't be happier about it. And it's got little Easter eggs, like even on the little Gotham Gazette newspaper, you've got like the little Graham Nolan and Kevin Nolan yeah. like caricatures. So it's good. Yeah, I didn't uh, realize that till I started doing the homework for it, and I saw that on the uh, notes on the DC Fandom that they were listed as oh they even drew themselves on the front cover and i was like what so yeah i thought that was really pretty cool uh terrence what do you think about the cover yeah i was thinking when rob throws it to me i'm gonna say poster worthy and you you beat me to poster worthy <laughs> there yeah the gotham gazette's cool it's it's uh definitely graham nolan is the one who drew it because kevin nolan looks like like a, a tired <laughs> beat up 80 year old just miscreant and the headline says uh penciler loses game for the gotham knights and then has graham nolan underneath it and then for kevin nolan it says inker convicted for gratuitous alterations <laughs> so that's pretty hilarious i actually have two versions of this i've got the regular cover and then i've got the variant that has batman wearing an email hoodie but <laughs> No. For a brief moment, I was like, there's yeah. a variant. So I started looking through. I was like, oh, wait a minute. Terrence is just is a it, jerk this evening. <laughs> it was a freebie in the email magazine. Oh, and we f- I forgot to mention, speaking of... You only had three like, issues very- because people were confused that like it wasn't like electronic mail. It was like email. And it, yeah, it was a bad joke. But. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Robin was... Well, I forgot to mention, Robin was polybagged with Guess What Magazine. That's right, folks on the edge so if you bought the last issue i believe of batman now getting robin you've got two issues of on the edge magazine i think recently terrence didn't you find one in a uh, comic shop in the last <laughs> yeah. like, month or so did yep. you put that on youtube was it on your, i YouTube? believe i i can't remember now if it was in the i can't remember i sent you guys a picture of it yeah you know, and then i can't remember if i put that in the youtube video or not but it was in the store, yeah, that I went to, and they had it polybagged, and I left it there. I didn't buy it, so if somebody really wants it, they could get it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this one, Ryan had said it earlier. Upon the first read on this, I thoroughly enjoyed this story. This, you could have transpo- transposed or transferred this right over to the Batman animated series. This kind of reminds me of i think the episode the man who killed joker batman. oh for i was gonna say joker's favor but oh joker's killed, favorite yeah the man who killed batman's a good one too more of these like every man like the story like focuses on like some every man or some like criminal that's like not that great or whatever that mm-hmm. is just or or some person that gets roped up in other criminal activity of some sort and they're your eyes into in, in window into the story and you follow them, and, st- and then the action and the Batman and the Robin stuff happens around it. And the fact that like that's what this story is like, and the fact that it is a one-and-done issue definitely makes me think of, of those two, for sure, those two episodes of, of Batman the Animated Series. Dixon is really leaning into the slapstickiness of the, our bumbling would-be, you know, <laughs> robber thief that just cannot get a single thing he's trying to rob a you know liquor store he's got the bag over his head he probably came from a saints game back in the early 80s 90s where they couldn't win a a game and uh, tries to rob the liquor store and ends up getting half boot stomped and gets caught in 
caught by the police and they're they're mocking him for it and even just going a little bit farther when he's painting his face red he starts being overcome by the the paint fumes and what the paint starts doing to him and has to get has to get saved by the attendee it was very comical talking about Dixon always starting with action the Dixon starting with humor he doesn't do that quite often so mentioned palate cleanser a couple times this was a really nice fresh way to start a Batman comic that's really completely different from anything that we've read. If you've been reading all these stories in the last two years, this is this was fun for me. So uh, what do you guys think of the opening of us? Let's start with Terrence. Kind of like you, Rob, both issues, the Robin and the Detective Comics, yeah. I did not remember you know, what was in them. So it was actually kind of fun rereading them. They were like fresh new comics. I love the beginning. I love... I love everything about this issue, and I like how it didn't have to say, like, five years ago or ten years ago so much. Mm -hmm. It's the clothing that sets it, you know, like, late 60s, early 70s, kind of. I like that. And I feel like Chuck Dixon was having a lot of fun with the language. (laughs) I could see him just (laughs) writing this, because instead of, you know, like, here on page three, he says... um, I'm talking about like spray painting his face. It says, eschewing his shopping bag disguise, he thought he'd spray paint his face. The advantages in increased viewing area were canceled out by the disadvantages of toxicity. Like, that's just, you know, instead of just saying, like, you know, like, oh, he, he choked, you know, like, I just, I think Chuck was having a lot of fun with that. And what I liked, what I really liked too, is how each bumbling, dumb thing he does was trying to fix the one from the past like yeah he wore the bag the bag didn't work so now to fix that he does the spray paint but then that doesn't work and then the next was he just wore like a um i think a something over his face like a I, 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 stocking I, I, yeah. stocking yeah but then he forgot about the note like it just it's i don't know i just thought it was really good and i like that whole like well i'm I think by page five, he's like, okay, I'm going to go straight. And Dixon writes here, and that's where our story begins. And you know, like, oh, there's no way he, you know, something's going to happen here, <laughs> you know? So all around, I love this issue, but the beginning is great. Ryan. Yeah, like I was saying, it, it, it's like an opening. Um, it's uh, normally you would open up a, a Dixon issue like this and you would get like a one page action splash page or something but the fact that it's like this long you know captioned intro you get to reading it and you're like oh they're they're setting this character up like they you get a lot of information pretty fast to know like like this is this guy is going to be like the star of the show and I can't wait to see how this is going to actually intersect with Batman I like when we start moving into Batman and Robin like very very limited like they don't show up till thanks for numbering the pages on this one this is six yeah they show up in page six and they don't show up again till page they don't show up to page page 11 as the next time Batman and Robin appear in the issue you get a brief little sequence of them in the Batcave Alfred's kind of playing a little bit with Batman and Robin Tim's at the computer very typical of what you expect of Batman and Robin. And again, Dixon has other things in mind. It's more of these group of individuals and our our bumbling crook. Is he going to stay in the straight and narrow? And all he's trying to do is just survive. And this guy cannot help but wind up somewhere. Cameron Nash is the big bad that Batman and Robin are looking out for. And Dieter, I think that's how we landed on saying his name is 
trying so hard to get out of this car and just wants to be left alone. And his bumblingness is going to cause all of this just to go completely sideways. So my big question is once Batman and Robin arrive on the scene, how do you, how do you guys feel of Dixon really making Batman and Robin secondary to the story and letting somebody else really be the focal point of this issue of detective comics, Ryan, I kind of wonder in the back of my head if, if part of it is, is this, urban legend you know whispers angle where it's more like the people are doing stuff in gotham and then when batman and and, you know and his allies show up it's like a big deal and it it feels that way in the story you read Mm -hmm. the characters are like okay whenever batman does show up they're gonna they're gonna get stuff done you know so it makes their moments more impactful and and when they do show up it is really cool and it's great batman and robin stuff a little bit of humor that he allows Robin to yeah. have where, you know, it's almost like, oh, we're, we're going the complete opposite direction. And Batman zips the car around. That's a great little sequence yeah. there on on page 11 when they show up. And Robin's like, you could warn a guy, which I thought that was really kind of funny. And uh, Batman says, I'll make a note of that. And even gives Batman the little bit, little bit of the joke there. Yeah. Just kind of keep into the theme. I, I dug that. Terrence, you have anything on on this particular sequence of just Batman and Robin's usage? Yeah, this was pretty par for the course at Detective at this time with Dixon. Now, we didn't really see it the last couple issues with the Contagion and the um, Legacy storylines. But pretty much, you know, Dixon was writing Detective Comics as a Batman and Robin book. So Tim Drake was always in this. This is why Mm -hmm. I keep bugging Rob. Like, you got to include that issue of Detective. You got to include that issue of Detective. And the GCPD it was a huge part of the book. So yeah. not that Batman was always a background character in it, but it always focused on other people, whether it was Bullock or Montonio or Commissioner Gordon and Sari Essen. And the mayor of Gotham has always been a bad guy to some, <laughs> right. some way. You know, It's kind of what you would see at, at Detective at this time, but it's more so in this issue. But I think Dixon does a good, such a great job of setting up this guy in the beginning and actually making you sympathize with him. Yeah. And his nickname we haven't mentioned was Al Gabon. <laughs> they don't really... I guess it's just because it sounds silly or something. I'm not really sure how the legend of Al Gabon... You're kind of rooting for this guy. You're kind of actually hoping Batman doesn't catch him. Or if he does... like how's, I'm like, like how's Batman going to realize that he didn't know this was a robbery? Or how, how's Batman going to know that he's not really the getaway driver you know how's this going to end and it's it's really it's really well done and it keeps you hooked and engaged in the story yeah i think that was the one thing at first i was like dixon is not building that into batman's detective skill not i say skills but not letting batman in on it to where yeah, the robin knows more than batman does yeah that He's got to tell Robin, like, oh, this type of criminal, we're going to pick him up later, as opposed to, well, you know, old chum, Dieter, he's he's been needed to break, and I knew, you know, he he was clean, and da-da-da-da. So I kind of like that Batman, it's very rare to say that Batman just assumes somebody like this, we're going to catch him, and then we'll be able to tie these pieces together. So you do get the, okay, the quote-unquote bad guy gets to get away, but he literally was not the bad guy of the story anymore. Because I was waiting for the moment 
where, okay, he ends up having the bag of cash. The guys get taken in and then, haha, Batman finds him, you know, two hours later in his house and you just couldn't help yourself. So I like that this ended on a happy note. Yeah, that's the that's the beauty of this story that keeps you engaged. Like when you read Legacy or you read Contagion, like, you know, Batman's going to figure out the cure or whatever and everything will be okay you know robin's not gonna because dc doesn't kill robins but you know but you know <laughs> they do you know, but then they bring yeah. it back but, but they bring it back yeah there was no 900 number at the end of the issue so you know he's gonna be okay you know but you kind of know so it's kind of fun to read but in the end you know like all right batman's gonna save the day but this in the middle of this you have no idea you don't know if he's gonna get away Batman will realize what's going on, or it ends with him sitting in a jail cell, Al Gabon, once again, in jail, wrong side of everything. I was actually more suspenseful of, like, what's going to happen to Al Gabon than I was for, like, you know, <laughs> Legacy and the whole world's in jeopardy. Like, yeah, Batman, he'll fix it. He'll fail. He'll, he'll be okay. Yeah, and I like the the end of it. By the time we get to a laundry mat where I got a very killing, not killing jokes wrong a more Batman 89 vibe out of it. Like there's the, the vat of chemicals or whatever's going on. Right. So where they're running around the, the scaffolding of the girders up at the top where Dieter falls over and lands in the laundry pit. You kind of have that suspense of like, Oh, what's going to happen to the guy? Is he going to, is he going to land in a vat of acid? Is he going to land in the chemicals or whatever's going on? And that's the thing that's going to allow him to escape and not be seen. And, Batman kind of gloss over it, which works, but everybody else gets caught. One guy gets caught in the dryer that Robin has a little bit of fun with. You kind of see him getting flipped around in here, but just the use of the, the shadows and Batman's cape. And again, like you said, Ryan, that you get that urban legend kind of vibe as far as the point of view for the criminals. When they're looking at Batman and Robin, you really don't see him. It's a lot of capes. It's, half faces so and even when they're landing back in the batmobile i love yeah, that shot so good you don't really see much of batman but you see more of robin the batmobile looks great so yeah this i i think this issue ends very very strong and again with graham nolan doing the artwork in this it's it's a beautiful issue to look at especially after having just come off such a large almost two-year story that they were were doing in comics so I can't and say. Can it. I say, Rob? The art I absolutely love the way they draw Batman and Robin inside the Batmobile, and yes. how the lights of yeah. like the panels and stuff are illuminating their faces. Oh man, I could look at that stuff all day. Even just like the Batmobile on page fifteen, when I got a, a Batman Arkham City vibe, where you're driving through, oh yeah, you know, the sewers and stuff like that at, at one point. But just seeing the wheel and the little bit of the water that's on the. A wheel well and just the the city in the background and the cars going through the sewer that type of stuff where we always talk about sometimes like animals and cars they don't yeah. they don't translate really you well you see a no. lot of like fighting like character fight scenes but like having like vehicle chases and stuff is mm-hmm. not as common yeah in in this and this was a cool era for that when you have like the bat like the like the train car in yeah uh, in nightfall and you nightfall have the, yeah and then in the redesigned 2000s, almost, uh, you know, bat- late 90s, 2000s Batmobile is a really cool redesign. And it's another one that's, like, hard to draw and, and it, it kind of complex looking. So having that in 
a chase sequence in a book is really is really cool. Yeah. I want to pull I want to steal something from Lauer spelled like lower uh, <laughs> on his show if you're not listening to it go check it out Batman Book Club you can hear our very own uh, Ryan Haas and Justin Kowalski I just finished their Batman 89 yeah. uh, episode which I think he's a, a few past that I'm a little behind on my podcast listening but anyway something he always ends with is like what what's a, a favorite panel yeah. or a, a favorite sequence I want to steal his favorite panel and I already mentioned it. I think the the cars, especially when they're they're down in the sewer, I really like page fifteen. As as great as Nolan's art is, I think there's just something really cool about the use of the Batmobile. Actually, I take that back. It there's is, a lot of cars in this yes, issue. I like the sequence on eleven where the Batmobile is doing the one eighty. You know where the yellow joke for Batman and Robin is. I think that's. Mm-hmm. Because it's like we've talked about it before. It's very easy to go. Oh, the cars kind of look wonky, but like you said, Ryan, cars and vehicles are constantly in this issue, and they're not chintzed out at all. Do you guys have anything? Just want to point out that hey, this is a, a really cool moment. I think we already touched on it, but yeah, like the couple of shots of, of bat, like on seventeen, where you have like the the shadow of the bat, like that is mm. like, again the whole urban legend thing. That's great with the smoke and the cars and people running. It's fantastic. That and the um, the next page after that on eighteen, where like the framing is so good, where it's it's a shot of Batman and Robin in the background coming after the guy, and but the, in the foreground yeah. you see like a cola can and people <laughs> people's feet running, like that's really cool. Like that's that's not the kind of thing I think of when I think of regular run of the mill comic book art, right? Yeah, uh, and then you do get cool things like the the way that the silhouettes are drawn when they land back in the Batmobile. It's just really, it's just really well done to get that that vibe. And that same one where Dietrich is, uh, or Dieter rather, is getting just about getting caught in the rope. I didn't notice that Batman is behind him in yeah. the panel, getting ready to throw a batarang. I I didn't pick that up on the first read through. Uh, Terrence, you got any uh, favorite parts in this? <laughs> There's just enough humor between Batman and Robin. Where it's good, but it's not like they're not being ridiculous. It's it, it doesn't border into absurdity. But like on page um, sixteen, when um, Batman mentions where the the conduit comes out of, and Robin's like, "You know where every conduit comes out of?" and Batman goes, "I, I don't call it my city just because yeah. I live here." And he's got sort of like a smirk on his face. Mm-hmm. It's not a full on like ha ha zinger Robin, but you know it's it's kind of like that dry humor kind of more like the val kilmer kind of batman kind of thing and then later on where robin i don't have a page number for it it's weird some of these pages are numbered and some aren't but the second to last page where like the guy is in the um the the diapers and uh you know robin's like pointing to it and guess who decided to hide in the dryer you know and so it's it's just enough that i liked it i think everything about this issue is good and i i love sort of the the twist ending where he's like, I finally found you. And he looks up and then it's just someone who's found his electronic. It's called D's electronics. He's working. So I'm assuming that's him that he owns his own yeah. repair shop now. So, you know, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a great fun little issue. And it probably, I mean, from cover to end, it probably only takes you like less than 10 minutes to read the whole thing. Yeah. So this was a quick great. read and I was kind of, I was disappointed. It wasn't a, a little bit longer. Like I could have easily read another 10, 15 pages because I was having such a good time with it. I think it's cool. 
a little bit of the Anton first, which you're usually pretty good, Terrence, of pointing yeah. out on on 17 at uh, Mundy Laundry Company. Uh, that little spot there looks like something that we've seen in Batman 89, but just just a fun issue. And that's also in the background in the, the page three of the Robin issue, Robin 34. You can oh, see yeah. like, the background of the city in the park, too. Yeah. So, like, two fun issues. If I was picking one over the other, I got to go with 704. If you just want an issue just to pick up, grab, I'm sure it's on DC Universe. Both of these I've read on DC Universe okay. Infinite, yeah. Yeah, Infinite. So, two fun issues and a nice way to, I keep saying palate cleanser in this episode, but to really kind of shake the dust off of Legacy and move into some other stories that are coming up. And again, we're going to be talking about another crossover. I'm going to find a cool way to get through that. But before we get there... We have a special issue coming out, so we do have a guest, hopefully on tap. I've got to go back through and uh, get back with him, so we're going to leave the Robin book, and uh, I'm going to say it here, World's Finest 3 is going to be the next thing that we're going to cover. I've been dying to read this. I have never read World's Finest 3. (laughs) It's going to be something, I think. Yeah, so I'm really looking forward to it, and I know how our shows go. That's probably definitely going to be a two-parter because they're more like the prestige format type book. So, and it's this, the return of Tom Grummet, right? Yeah, return yeah. of Tom Grummet. So, we've got a hopefully a, a loyal, and hopefully I know he is a loyal BOFer. You've probably heard him on different shows, so I won't say here just in case that doesn't happen. But I think I think <laughs> I think we've got Garrett involved so that's what's coming up next on the show so that was one i've definitely been wanting to get to so just final thoughts i think we've probably pretty much already said it through these i dug these two issues and uh i can't say enough good things about it but definitely 704 uh was the highlight for this so uh let's uh close it out with ryan and and in closing out plug anything that you got going on outside of the drake Oh yeah, so yeah, the, I thought these two were really—they're really good examples of of the of DC's new one and done type issues of the era. I think we've kind of proven that they're just really nice, tight stories, character focused, but have a lot of a lot of good you know quality going on there. But yeah, so if uh, you follow me on Twitter at smb underscore ryan, and follow of course the Batman Podcast Network at definitely at uh, at Batpod Network. There's a couple of of new shows that i should plug definitely the the batman book club on twitter at the batman bc uh like like as rob mentioned we uh, i i joined a recent show on uh the batman 89 adaptation which was just really fun and we did that because um as kind of a lead into the the batman 89 comic series that's out now which is just it's it's only one issue in but it's i'm enjoying it also rick bof's rick shoe has started a new podcast for i saw that yeah we made we turned we used to do satellite shows as part of the the normal bof podcast but now rick has taken that idea and just made the satellite show the show basically so i was wondering like why wasn't that like somebody needs to do that so leave it to rick to come up with that that's cool yeah so now like there it's a it's a legit batman on film sponsored show that is just satellite shows only so now when whenever we do want to cover non-Batman stuff like Rocky or Back to the Future or Waterworld <laughs> or The Matrix or whatever or anything, we can just use that as kind of a 
a holder for that. It literally just launched today. You can follow it on Twitter at BOF Show. Uh, the first episode, <laughs> the first episode is is up, and it's just me and Rick talking for thirty minutes about what we want the show to be. So it's kind of like a show about nothing. <laughs> you have to take it back to this show. So yeah, definitely check that out. And it's uh, if you subscribe to the Batman on Film podcast, you've already got it because it's just part of that same feed. Because that nice. one feed now has a lot of BOF shows. It's got the the main BOF podcast and the satellite show and the audio version of like the uh, the social hour uh, vlog. Also, Pete Vera, friend of the show and BOF senior contributor, he keeps mm-hmm. doing crazy stuff. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he's got his own other... He's, he does too many podcasts, but yesterday he decided he wanted to start a new one. So he, if you go on Twitter at uh, the Hulk Book Club at the Hulk BC, I uh, wondered if that was him. That okay. is, uh, that's Pete Vera. Yeah, like it, it turned in. It, it, it it's a joke that is going to turn into a real podcast, apparently. So <laughs> <laughs> I think on a show they talk about, oh, we should start a Hulk Book Club, but uh, but but Pete went ahead and just made the Twitter. And people are already very excited about it, <laughs> so I think we're pretty sure we're going to do it. Um, so it's got a, it's a, it's already got its own Twitter at the Hulk BC. So it'll be like the Azrael podcast, and probably will come out before it. So uh, a podcast that doesn't exist yet, but probably will, and has a Twitter. So that's awesome, uh, Terrence. You got anything? I know you've been posting recently on the the YouTube channel, which is really good. Uh, what do you got going on? And Recently, you've been kind of reactivating a Twitter handle. So when I'm tweeting, I'm like, mm, which one is Terrence using? So uh, what do you got going on, sir? Yeah, not too much. I just posting a couple videos here and there when I have time. I don't edit very well, so I just kind of one take. I'll, I'll be in the middle of Walmart or something and be like, oh, cool, there's a Batman thing here. Let me put that on YouTube, you know, <laughs> or, or, or how many... Have they gotten any new Funko Pops, you know? So they're kind of lazy videos, but they're short, so they're not bad. That's but, fun. Yeah, but uh, Monday's the first day of school, so I got that going on. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, good luck this year, and hopefully everything goes well for you. Yeah, I don't think we've, we've talked to Ryan since the whole uh, big uh, Super Mario Brother news with the... You know the oh yeah director oh, yeah. and everything yeah so yeah. congratulations on all that yeah yeah, yeah. had the uh, we acquired a, a VHS tape that this magical VHS tape that had the an early extended cut rough cut of the Super Mario Brothers movie a couple of years ago and we went through painstaking links to have it um, restored and we put it up on the internet so basically we got the Snyder cut of <laughs> a, a <laughs> equivalent of the Super Mario Brothers movie and. It kind of broke the internet for a couple of days, and people were were really excited. The people that really care about it were really excited about it, and it made it made some. It got on some big websites, and actually, Zaki Asani even got to review it for IGN. So, like, oh, well, that's cool. Yeah, so like it was, it's really cool, and they're still doing articles about it. Actually, the uh, Den of Geek just today published an interview that they did with me and Stephen Applebaum that uh, runs the site with me, and we, we interviewed with them a few weeks ago, and they posted a new another article about it today. So. I mean, yeah, so check that out at SMB Movie. So when did the movie originally? What was its theatrical release? What year was it? Was that? 90, 1993, like a couple of weeks so before Jurassic Park I, came out. I thought it was like right around my my senior year. So who would have thought a movie like that and that old would still be delivering goods all of these years later? Like the things you guys have come across and found in just the last couple years is 
is really kind of shocking is the only word like really like you've got a, a director's cut or there's you know newfound footage so I, that's just amazing mm-hmm. like do you ever get to that point of like okay I think we're at the bottom of the barrel there there can't there can't be anything constantly. else that we're gonna constantly yeah. like it's well, I started the website in 2007 and every time I thought like okay this is all the merchandise I'm ever gonna find I find more. Or every time we talk to people that have been involved in the film, like, okay, there's nobody else that has any new information. We find new stuff. So at this point, I, I have stopped saying that that's all <laughs> because every it's, it's so crazy that, you know, the things that we think that we'll never find, we end up finding. You know, we knew for years that there was a longer version of the movie that we'll never see, but we found scripts and footage and first-hand accounts from people. So we were able to, and things from early trailers. So we were able to get a good idea of what deleted scenes were filmed and what was missing, but we thought, Oh, but we'll never see it. And now we, we have, I mean, it's just crazy to, to be able to kind of see like, to like kind of cultivate a whole niche fandom for something like that and have it, and be able to get so much content out of this one thing and have <laughs> one it thing. Actu- actually keep going for so many years and continue the, to be relevant. It's so yeah. weird. It's so weird. But Didn't so spawn cool. any sequels or anything nope. like that. A one movie and it's still delivering some 30 plus years. Yep. Because it's know, such later. a cultural odd. It's that weird. It's a combination of like is the first video game movie adapted, you know, first video game turned into a mm-hmm. movie and it's it was a huge bomb and nobody knows it's like trying to figure out why it's it's because it's because it's so weird is a big reason of why it's it's continues to be analyzed and there's just a lot of food for thought in it you know so it's definitely not the run one run of the mill like very commercial film it was like very creative filmmakers that got handed a whole bunch of money to to make a thing and (laughs) they did their thing and we're still talking about it I mean, so in that, in that way, it's kind of like a Snydery kind of thing, where it's like they took, <laughs> they were able to take these icons and just do something that people still struggle to understand. So, yeah, that's cool. Well, for me, you can follow me at Drummer Rob Ten, and my other show that's been really pretty active lately is Right Between the Eyes podcast. It's a Kiss podcast that I do with uh, Nick and Nico Caruso, and Kiss has fired up the the end of the road shows. So all of us between the three of us, we will see about five shows uh, between us. And if things go according to plan, they're actually going to come to Michigan where I'm going to go see my second show. So we may actually get to meet up in real life and see a kiss show together. So go check out that show. And since I mentioned them, go check out their vigilante 1939 podcast. They got a great show there. A lot of great shows to check out. Ryan's already said a few. So if you're not listening to enough podcasts, we've given you a few more to listen to. So I think that's where we're going to put a pin in it for this one. Sorry. We've been gone so long with this for two like short little issues you can read through a little bit we found a, a decent amount to talk about so in normal fashion i would break this up into a couple but since it's summertime this is going to be nice one big fat episode for you guys to enjoy and my way of saying sorry it's taken us a little bit but thanks for tuning in to the batmanuniverse.net and more importantly thanks for listening to robin everyone loves a drake we'll see you guys in a couple weeks take care
Thanks for listening to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake podcast. This has been brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net. Tim Drake, Robin, and all Batman-related characters are under copyright of DC Comics. This podcast is solely for entertainment purposes, so no infringement is intended by this show. The show is not a good revenue stream. Actually, there's not a stream at all. All music and sound clips are under copyright by their respective copyright holders. So there should be no need to send the Penguin's lawyers after us for ill-gotten gains because there are none. You can get a hold of the show a few different ways. We are on Twitter at ELTD Podcast. You can also email in at RobinELTDPodcast at Yahoo.com. Our Facebook page can be found at www.facebook.com slash everyone loves the Drake. And as always, you can message directly over at the BatmanUniverse.net. So email, tweet, or message us. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll read your comments or responses on the show. The show you're listening to can be found a few different ways through iTunes and Windows Media. Also, over at our host, TBU. Leave us a review on iTunes if you listen there. It'll help spread the word of the show. Make sure you head over to the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. Thanks for listening to the show and hearing why everyone loves the Drake. We'll see you in a few weeks. Take care. Let me catch my breath.